Ah, I think I have it now. Thank you. <laughs> we had technical difficulties. In this, our last sermon in our series on the rule of life, we will turn our attention again to the question of what Christian discipleship looks like in our day. Last week, Sarah preached and offered you a very poignant story about a conversation that she had with an artist friend of hers. Do you remember that story? She, she talked about a friend of hers who she had met with. This friend acknowledged that she's a Christian, but then quickly qualified that by saying that she didn't see the under, her understanding of Christianity didn't translate into, into anything that, any specific kinds of practices, but was something that she felt was sort of a generic placeholder for being religious. A little later in their conversation, she mentioned to Sarah that she was frustrated with a friend of hers who claimed to be an artist but produced no art. Sarah noted the, 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 the dripping irony of those two things when, when we compare them and made the important connection that we all should have between our identity and the way in which that identity produces something corresponding to that identity. So the critical thing then for us as Christians in understanding what discipleship looks like is to understand firstly what is the source and character of our identity as Christians. Now there is a Canadian author who has pro provided unique insight into how we in contemporary Canadian society understand identity. His name is Charles Taylor. Now, I would imagine many of you in the audience have not heard of Charles Taylor. Charles Taylor is the most accomplished philosopher in Canadian history. And I brought along with me this morning two of his books. A little light reading for, uh, for you later on. This first book I'm, pointing, I'm, I'm going to show you is a book called A Secular Age, in which in about 900 pages, he unpacks and analyzes secularism in, in our society in, and in the West. Now, what's noteworthy about this book is that it, was, it won the 2007 Templeton Prize. This prize comes with a $1 million award. No one who went, ever went into philosophy ever dreamt that they would ever receive a million-dollar reward for a book they wrote. Trust me. That is also considered one of, if not the highest, awards a philosopher can, can obtain. The other book I wanted to show you is, called, is a book that I, where I, when I first discovered Charles Taylor back in the late 90s, which is a book called Sources of the Self. The subtitle is The Making of the Modern Identity. And this dovetails with our topic this morning, because here he, uh, he focuses specific attention on how we as modern people living in the West, how is it that we understand the source of our identity? Now, it should be noted that Taylor is a Catholic. He spent many years teaching at McGill. I believe he still has a position at McGill. Um, even though his analysis doesn't necessarily lead us directly to, to the end of our reflection about being identi our identity as Christians, it gets us a good way towards that. So we're going to start, I'm going to start by unpacking two of his ideas. Taylor paints a picture in these and his other books in which he describes the unique way that modern Western people understand the sources of our identity. He analyzes social beliefs and practices, politics, 
psychology, philosophy, and even theology. The first idea I want to get, share with you from Taylor is this idea called the buffered self. He says that moderns in the West have this understanding that we are, the, we are buffered independent things. Now, I, I, I've tried to think of a good analogy by which this could stick with you, and I thought of an egg. So if you think of Humpty Dumpty, right, that beloved storybook character, an egg has a shell. And in, in Taylor's idea of a buffered self, Everything you have, everything we have that dictates what or determines what our identity is, is within us individually. So if you can imagine each of you having, and maybe an M&M is better, would you prefer to be an M&M? You have this candy coating shell or the, or the shell of an egg, and within you resides your identity. Now, in, in our society, there are two sources, two potential sources within each of you that, that determine your identity. One is your genetics or your biology. And this is a very, probably a familiar thing that we all, that we all know. Um, various ways in which we talk about that I was made this way is a saying you sometimes hear, right? That our identity flows out of how we were made. We have DNA tests now that are all the rage. I've had one of those done. I'm sure most of you have had those things done, right? Which we, which we see as right, trying to sort out and find within us that those things that are within our, our very cell and genetic makeup that make us who we are, that give us our identity. So that's one source in the modern identity. The other source is the choices we make. So there's another school of thought which says... You know, that all, all, all the ways you've been made, that's not really important. What's important is what you choose. And you're able to choose your identity. And there are infinite sorts of options that are often laid out for us as to what those choices might be. This is the buffered self. This is the picture of the buffered self. Within each of you, you have some combination of those two things, which is that pure spring or that pure source from which you can draw individually in order to choose or understand your identity. And whatever relationships you have outside of your shell, of your candy coating, all of those relationships and all of those influences outside of you are optional and are ones in which you, you have the choice whether or not to allow them to affect you. So this is a snapshot of, of the modern self, according to Taylor. Now, we Christians, when we think about what resides within us, when we think about that, those sources of identity, we, there's another kind of terminology that we appeal to. We talk about our nature. And we have a long history about, of talking about our nature. And scripture talks about our nature, but it does so in a very different way. So, for example, in Romans 5, Paul reminds us, therefore, just as through one man, Adam, Sin entered into the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. In Psalm 51, David laments how his sin was something he inherited. His sin was ever before him. In sin, his mother conceived him. We also know, so, so there's a sense in which our nature, and this is confessed and acknowledged in, in, in the creeds, and also in the, in the 39 articles, and in our prayer book, that fundamental to our nature is a problem, the problem of sinfulness. There is no pure spring 
within us, either by our nature or by our choices. Those things have been compromised. If we only look within us to find our true and good identity as human beings, to our biology or to our choices, we are then lost. Indeed, our lostness in our nature is the message of Scripture from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. Some of you who maybe participated in my Genesis 1 to 12 session, we talked a great deal about how that is a strong theme that emerges right from the beginning of Genesis. In contrast to this idea of the Humpty Dumpty buffered self, that is the default setting of our society, Taylor, Charles Taylor paints another picture of another way we can think about identity. He rightly shows how there is another way for us to understand it. In fact, he says this other way of thinking about our identity is one that we, we tend to default to, even if, we, even if we subscribe to those ideas of the buffered self. He calls this the porous self. And the idea here is that, think of yourself as a sponge. I don't know how many of you rem- remember this, this uh, cartoon SpongeBob SquarePants. Do any of you know this? I'm getting a lot of nodding, even, even from people I was not expecting to know SpongeBob SquarePants, right? Who lives in a pineapple under the sea? Some, right? Absorbent and yellow and porous is he, right? Now, Taylor's idea of the porous self is that from birth, there are, we are composed of things that are given to us. So our, our traditions all of the things that we're taught, all of the influences that come to bear on us, that these are ingredient to each one of us. So that what our identity is, is not something first and foremost that is contained within us. It's something that's given to us. There's a rather funny episode in SpongeBob SquarePants where SpongeBob goes to visit his friend, the squirrel. Right? Now, squirrels live in the air, right? And it's a bit of a mystery how this squirrel came to be living in a biodome at the bottom of the ocean, but we'll leave that aside for now. SpongeBob goes to visit the squirrel, but discovers that without all of, that, all of the stuff of the ocean, he begins to shrivel and die. This is, this is the picture. We need all those things. We're unconscious of those things. And Taylor says that this is really the way that we should properly understand and the way that most of humanity has understood their identity. Our identity is given to us. It's not something we possess or or it comes from simply purely within us. Nowhere is this more evident than in how we describe who we are when we get to know others, for example. When you have a new family over, when you're getting to know somebody, do you talk about your genetics? Do Do you talk about your biology? You tell stories. You tell stories about where you came from. You tell stories about your family. You tell, you tell stories about all of those influences that gave you your identity. Taylor, doesn't take us, Taylor is only interested in philosophy, though, and Taylor only takes us so far. So for our purposes, we need to deepen our understanding of the source of our identity from God's word and from our tradition. What we find in Scripture is a picture which fits in some ways with Taylor's porous self, but clarifies it and deepens it. It's captured, initially, I want to suggest to you, in the very simple phrase, in Christ. In Christ. Paul, the Apostle Paul, uses this small phrase, in Christ, 170 times in his letter. 
It's seemingly this, you know, this casual little, little phrase, but, it's a, but it captures so much for Paul. In Christ, baptism is the sacrament where the imagery of, go, of, of this being in Christ is unpacked by Paul. It's one of the places, and we're going to work our way through Paul and see how he does this in several places. In baptism, the imagery of going under the water is, is, is a metaphor for how our former selves die and that we come back up out of the water to receive a new identity. Romans 6 reads, All of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ have been baptized into his death. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. See? Galatians 3. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you all are one in Christ. Paul also uses the crucifixion of Jesus to describe how we are given our identity. For example, in Galatians 2, he writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul also uses similar imagery to talk about our ministry as Christians. In 2 Corinthians 4, he talks about losing our old selves. He writes, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. We have the treasure of the gospel in earthen vessels, that the surpassing greatness of its power may be of God, and not from ourselves. We carry about in our bodies the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifest in us. We who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifest in us. And then concludes that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Christ is our identity. How we live out our discipleship, how we conduct ourselves, all of these things flow from our identity in Christ. Not from our biology, not from our personal desires or preferences, not from our skin color, and most certainly not from the objects of our sensual or physical desire. Ephesians 2 describes this. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Among them we too all formerly lived in our sins, indulging the desires of both the flesh and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sinful nature, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For by grace ye have been saved, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we can walk in them. This continues to be a challenge, this, this tension between our old self and our new self. The biggest challenge to our true faith in this day is the persistence of this notion of the buffered self, which continues to, to haunt us. 
Paul knew this. Paul talked openly about his struggle. He talked about how the, the good thing he wished to do, he doesn't do, right? Paul understood that. This is a lifelong process, this pressure, these tensions, the struggle we have between our old self and our true identity. Later in Ephesians 4, Paul reminds us of this challenge. He writes, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the world walks in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. But you did not learn Christ this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, lay aside the old self. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on your new self, which is the likeness of Christ, which has been created in righteousness and holiness and in truth. The connection between our identity in Christ and the pattern that our lives should take in discipleship as a result are given to us in these passages and across Scripture itself. We have lessons in the law of the Old Testament, which Paul reminds us is useful as a picture for us for what faithful living looks like. We have the ethical teachings and examples of Jesus And we have the teachings of Paul and the the things that we learn in Acts about what the shape of life in Christ looks like. And we have the 39 articles to remind us that everything we need for living out that life of discipleship is given to us in Scripture. We don't need anything more. In closing, let's listen to how clearly this is all spelled out in Colossians 3 where Paul actually talks about what exactly our lives are to look like as we put on our new self, as we put on Christ in our following of him as his disciples. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died to those things, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, to impurity, to inappropriate passions, to sinful desire and greed, which are all essentially idolatry. In them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now put them aside. Put aside anger and wrath and malice, slander and abusive speech. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self and put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free person, but Christ is in all and is all. So as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on your new selves. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, just as the Lord forgave you. Beyond all of these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, 
In word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Today we celebrate Candlemas. The candles we light represent Jesus Christ, the light of the world. There is a song many of us know from our childhood. This little light of mine, right? I'm going to let it shine, right? Don't worry, I won't sing. That's my wife's department. Being disciples of Christ, as we have seen, requires an adjustment of this song. It is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It is not I who shines, but Christ who shines in me. Let us all go forth from this place and let the light of our old self fade and die so that the light of Christ may shine more fully and more freely through us. Amen.